Good morning. So good to have you with us this morning. Happy Mother's Day. The lesson this morning has nothing to do with Mother's Day, but we're glad you're here either way. Uh, we are in a series where we're going through the entire New Testament uh, on Sunday morning and some on Sunday night as we're going through the His Word devotional book. So that's where we're at if you're with us this morning for the first time. We're in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5. Before we get there, I would say that there are certain places in our community that you can go to and you'll smell like it the rest of the day. You like Los Arcos? I love Los Arcos. But you're going to smell like Los Arcos the rest of the day, right? Or barbecue joints. You go to a barbecue joint, the rest of the day you're going to smell like smoked hickory or smoked mesquite, whatever they use, right? I can remember when I was younger, I would ask my mother if I could go somewhere. And she would always say, who are you going with? Where are you going specifically? There were certain places she didn't want me to go to, certain people she didn't want me hanging around. Inevitably, I would go to a place maybe she didn't want me to go to or hang out with somebody she didn't want me to hang out with, and I would come home thinking that she would never find out, but my actions and my attitude gave me away, and she would always say something like, I can always tell when you've been with so-and-so. You know, studies show that people who have been together for a long time, married couples that have lived together for a long time, start to resemble each other. The idea is the longer you stay with someone, the more you look like them. And I feel sorry for some of you ladies. <laughs> if you look at Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 5, I believe that was read at the beginning. We won't read all the way through that. But I really want to zero in on verse 13. And it reads, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. And began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Now the context of all this goes back to Acts chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. Where we see Peter and John healing a lame beggar at the temple. This healing brought quite a crowd. And so Peter uses that as an opportunity to preach. And in this crowd you have murderers. You have people who had a hand in killing Jesus. And Peter held nothing back. He spoke to them with boldness and with courage. This same man who denied Jesus three times stood firm in his faith and preached what needed to be preached. If you go on to 10 through 12, it says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I heard it somewhere that a crisis never made a man. It only reveals who they already are. You know, before the resurrection of Jesus, Peter, John, the apostles were very different people. I mean, these were men who fled, who ran, who hid when Jesus needed them the most. They were asleep when Jesus was praying. We know well what Peter did. When his life and faith were on the line, he denied Jesus three times. Yet something changed. What was it? Well, very simple. They had been with Jesus. And when you've been with Jesus, it cannot help but change you. We become 
like those we behold. It's just that simple. The Jewish leaders could tell where these men had been. They smelled like Jesus. They, they had, uh, like going to Los Arcos, you could tell where they had been. The Messiah had rubbed off on them. Like my mom asked, or saying to me, I can always tell when you've been with so-and-so. The Jewish leaders could tell who Peter and John had been with. And notice it wasn't Peter and John who made that statement. They didn't say, we have been with Jesus. They could have, but they didn't say that. Who said it? The religious leaders. They're the ones that noticed it. It was undeniable. They could tell by observation. I don't know how many of you remember the really old Superman television series. Pretty corny today if you go back and watch it. But at the time, I used to watch the reruns with my grandfather back I guess it was in the 80s. I don't know how old that show is. What, 50s, 60s maybe that it came out? But you could always see, basically every episode, Superman would stand there in his spandex and everything with his feet about shoulder width apart, with his fist clenched on his hips, chest sticking out, cape blowing in the wind. And it seemed like every episode, the bad guy would shoot bullets at him and they would just bounce off his chest. And after the villain emptied his gun and shot all his bullets, and after Superman stood there letting him bounce off his chest, the villain would always do what? He'd always take the gun and throw it at him. And you know what Superman did? He ducked. Isn't that strange? I always found that comical. You just stood there and let bullets bounce off your chest, yet when, when the villain throws a gun at you, you duck out of the way. And yet... We're not a whole lot different. You know, we should stand bold and, and courageous, and yet we duck and we cower. We, we fret and we worry about the smallest of things. We have a God who's told us that he will never leave us or abandon us. He won't forsake us. We live by his eternal promise. We have the assurance of his love. What else matters? And yet we get disappointed or we hesitate to be bold and fear sends us reeling. And although we have that eternal promise from God, we duck and we cower at the smallest of things. Like Superman, we should be fearless. And that's what we see with Peter and John. These men were fearless. Not always. Before, they were very unlike Superman. They ducked and they cowered at even the smallest of things. They, they, they were not bold and courageous, but after being with the resurrected Messiah, they were different. They, they were very much like that man who stands shoulder width apart, fist on his hips, chest sticking out, taking on the bullets, ready for anything. Understand, folks, there is a difference between being around Jesus and being with Jesus. There is a difference between being around Christians and being with Jesus. There is a difference between being at church and being with Jesus. There is a difference between being around Christian programming and being with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? And can anybody tell it? Does it make a difference in your life? It's interesting to note that the Jewish leaders were putting pressure on Peter and John not to speak in the name of Jesus. It seems today we have to put pressure on Christians to speak in the name of Jesus. Why is that? Notice what is written in verses 18 through 20 of Acts chapter 4. And when they had summoned them, 
They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whatever it is, uh, whatever is right in the sight of God, to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And don't forget verses 9 through 11. If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be made known, known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Where did this courage come from? Any guesses? They had been with Jesus. Good, you're keeping up. No one speaks to the council this way. No one stands before the Jewish leaders and tells them this. No one risks life and limb to speak this way unless you've been with Jesus. Then you could boldly and courageously stand before the religious leaders and do something like this. Peter and John stand in front of the Jewish council. Feet spread shoulder width apart. Fists on hips, chest sticking out, cape blowing in the wind. They are bold and they are courageous. They didn't duck. They didn't cower. That should be a lesson for us. Because I think it takes far less for us to duck and to cower. You go up to someone who is a grandparent. Ask them about their grandkids. And I guarantee you, you're going to be there a while. They're going to pull out their phone or maybe even their wallet, and they're going to show you picture after picture. They're going to bore you to death with the details of their grandkids. They're going to tell you how smart they are, how big they are, how talented they are. Walk into McDonald's one morning. Find all the guys that are sitting there drinking coffee. And walk over to them and say, hey, what do you think about Donald Trump? You're going to get a response. Go to a gym to watch a basketball game and sit among the crowd and whoever they're cheering for, cheer for the other team and see what happens. We have no problem being bold and courageous when it comes to our grandkids. We have no problem stepping out there and telling you how we feel when it comes to politics. We have no problem telling you what we think when it comes to our favorite sports team, yet we duck and we cower when it matters most. When it comes to the things that we should be passionate about, Jesus and the gospel, we seem to avoid that at all costs. And we say things like, well, I just don't talk about Jesus or religion at work. It's not a good idea. Are there lost people at your work? You're shirking your number one responsibility? Or we say things like, yeah, we just don't talk about God or church or religion at family reunions because we're afraid Aunt Jane or Uncle Joe will get mad. Really? So you're willing to let them go to hell without speaking the truth to them in love? Yet we avoid these situations. We avoid speaking where we should speak the loudest. We duck and we cower rather than being bold and courageous when our life isn't even on the line. When it comes to, when it comes to being a faithful child of God, the key requirement is being with Jesus. Can people tell that we have been with Jesus? Unfortunately, we tend to focus on one aspect of that 
and we're bold and courageous and we're fearless. I say unfortunately, it's not unfortunate, it's actually a good thing, but we stand firm and courageous on some things while ignoring others. Speak where the Bible speaks. Be silent where the Bible is silent. Don't add to or take away from Scripture. Let the Bible speak. All those are good things, right? For the most part. Yet when it comes to the other side of things, like being bold and courageous and going and seeking and saving the lost, not so much. We like to bang the drum and we like to be bold and courageous to our own people. You see Christians on Facebook being bold and courageous so that they can get the amens from their friends. But what kind of message are we presenting to those who aren't Christians? Not so sure we always think about that. And I think sometimes we avoid that at all costs because we don't want the backlash. Our life is not on the line, and yet we still steer clear. But it's not just about crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. You've heard me say it before. Rules modify behavior. That's all they do. This is about relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he died for. God sent his son, his only begotten son, to die a cruel death on a cruel cross to buy us back, to redeem us. The Bible is a story of redemption. And I feel strongly that one of the reasons why the church is not making more of an impact in the world around us is because it's full of people that hadn't been transformed. We see it all the time. Someone comes in, we baptize them, we get them wet, and they leave, and they don't ever come back. Why is that? Because they didn't pick up a cross when they left. We didn't make a disciple We got somebody wet. Have you been with Jesus? Are you a transformed individual? We've presented Christianity as if it's something convenient and easy. Just come to church when you can. Read your Bible when you can. Say some prayers here and there. Don't cuss. Don't don't hang out with women that do. It's all pretty simple. That's not what Jesus died for. He died for a relationship. He died so that we could be brought near, so that we could live a life of discipleship, which is a transformed life. I think about this with myself, and I think about how in preparation for Sunday, I, I, really, want to be, I really want to be prepared. I really want to step into that pulpit knowing this stuff so that I can present it as well as I possibly can. And so I spend time during the week trying to do that. I know some of you think only work two days a week, but those sermons don't write themselves, and they don't write themselves on Saturday night for sure, and so you have to spend time being ready. In fact, the job I had before this as a coach is very similar to this one in that you have to be prepared. The last thing you want as a coach is to go into a game and see the other team doing stuff to you that you weren't ready for. And so you prepare. You watch film. you, you, You call other coaches. You scout. They may still do stuff that you can't stop, but at least you knew it was coming. Same way with preaching. I never want to get into the pulpit not being prepared. And so you spend the week doing that, looking over your lesson, studying, making sure that you are ready when Sunday comes. But I think about that and I think, yeah, all that's fine and good, but when I stand up there on Sunday morning, can the people tell from Monday to Saturday that I've been with Jesus? Can they tell that? Because that's really all that matters. And that's going to have a trickle-down effect That's going to saturate everything that I do anyway. Have I been with Jesus? You can turn on the TV and you can watch guys that have been with themselves all week. It's all about branding. It's all about them. Their name is everywhere instead of the name of Jesus. Folks, I never want the name Chris McCurley to be heard in this place more than God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. This is not my church. 
That TV program that airs at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings, that's not Chris McCurley's program. This is all about Jesus and all about what he can do through me, through you, through all of us, reading from his script, doing what we should be doing. When people look at your life, they should be able to tell that you have been with Jesus. By looking at your family, by looking at your interest and your priorities, by looking at your job, by looking at how you handle life situations, whatever it is, Christians should be the best bosses, the best teachers, the best coaches, the best customers, the best employees. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. But people should be able to look at us and see that we have been with Jesus. You shouldn't be able to tell somebody you know that you're a Christian they almost fall over dead out of shock. People shouldn't be surprised to learn that you attend church every Sunday. It should be evident by the life that you lived. Not long ago, my wife and I were at Tamales, another good place, and you smell like it the rest of the day. We came in and we sat down and we noticed that two other families came in after us, got their food, were almost done eating before we ever got our food. When we got our food, it was wrong. And she said, well, do you want me to change it? Yeah, because I didn't order that. And so she takes it back. She said, it'll be a while. Okay. So she brings it back. We finally get done. She comes back and she hands me the check and she said, I just want to apologize. It's been a rough night. Thank you for being patient. And I think we were somewhat patient. We weren't, you know, like, you know, outspoken about the fact that it was terrible service. But at the same time, we were frustrated. And I said, well, thank you for apologizing. I I hope we didn't show our frustration too much. And she goes, oh, no, I I just appreciate you. I watch you every Sunday. That really hits home with you. That hits you in the heart and makes you realize, you know what? I'm always on trial here, you know? You're always under the microscope. And and folks, listen, you are going to be able to reach people that I would never be able to reach. There are people in your jobs, in your everyday life that will never hear a sermon of mine, that will never see the TV program. You might even be the only Bible they ever read. Just remember that. Again, you don't have to be perfect. That's not the standard. The standard is Jesus, and I know he's perfection, but you're striving every day to be more like Jesus. Can people tell that you've been with Jesus in how you handle life, your priorities, your family, all those different things? Now, we need to say, what does that look like? What does it look like to be with Jesus? I think we could go a hundred different directions here with Scripture, but I think The one place I want to land that I think covers it all is John 1, 17. For grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. If I were to ask you where in the gospel of John do you find a wedding scene, where would you say? John chapter 2, right? That's where we have the Jesus turning the water into wine. I'm going to say that even before then, you have a wedding scene right here. It's the perfect marriage between grace and truth. It's what Jesus was about, and it's what we should be about as well. Now, I say all that because Christians tend to focus on one or the other. We tend to put an or where there should be an and. It's about grace or truth. Jesus was 50-50. He was 50% grace, 50% truth. No, he wasn't. He was 100% both all the time. There's two ditches here, and we want to stay out of both of them. There's the truth-only ditch. There's the grace-only ditch. Both of them are detrimental. We want to stay out of both of them. You see, everybody's concerned about being liberal. Nobody's concerned about being a Pharisee. And both are bad. You don't want to be either one of them. 
Both of them are detrimental to our cause and to preaching the gospel. So if we, if we look at someone who is lost and we say, you know what, I am going to forfeit truth here to show them grace and love, then you don't really love them. But if you hammer them with the truth at the expense of grace and love, you don't really love them. Going to hell isn't in anyone's best interest. So we have to be about grace and truth. And we have to present ourselves, the gospel, as such, lest we fail in our mission. For grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. I think sometimes our efforts are sincere. We really want to get somebody into the baptistry and we want to force the issue. And so we hammer them hard with the Bible. But at the end of the day, we didn't make a disciple. And we were void of love. And we fell into the ditch of grace only. I mean, excuse me, of truth only. But then, you know, we, we really love them and we really care about them. And, and so we're, we're trying to skirt around the real issue. And so we land on the grace only. And we fall into that ditch. Both of those are detrimental. And what we have to understand is our job is not to make the gospel acceptable. Our job is to make the gospel accessible. I hear people say, well, you know, when it comes to studying with people, they, they, they can't get them to obey the gospel. And they say, well, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. No, it's not your job to make them drink. Hopefully you make them thirsty, but it's, you're not, it's not your job to make them drink. You don't convert anybody. God does, right? Jesus was full of grace and truth. And if we're going to be like our Lord, which we should be, then we're going to have to be about grace and truth as well. Listen to me, folks. If everybody hates us, if all unbelievers hate us, we're doing something wrong. But if all unbelievers love us, we're doing something wrong. Jesus was full of grace and truth, and he brought some near, and he repelled others. He was full of grace and truth, and some hung him on a cross. How can we expect anything different, right? There's a story that's told about an old lumberjack who was laboring away, and this young, brash, overconfident lumberjack comes up and challenges him and says, I bet you I can chop more wood than you in a day. And the old lumberjack takes him up on the, on the contest and this young lumberjack is just chopping away, and he is full of vim and vigor, and he is really going at it, and he notices throughout the day that that old lumberjack just can't keep up. And in fact, he's stopping several times to rest. And so it gets to the end of the day, and this young lumberjack has a big old pile of wood, and he walks over to brag to the old lumberjack and notices he has just as big a pile, if not bigger. And he's confused. He said, how does this happen? How do you chop more wood than me? You were stopping and taking breaks, and I was, I was chopping all day. And the old lumberjack looks at him, and he says, you know, every time I stop to rest, I sharpen my axe. And I think there's a good lesson for us there. The success of this church does not depend on your talents or abilities. It does not depend on programming. It does not depend on what all we can do for Jesus as much as it depends on this. Have you been with Jesus? It's not about how much wood you can chop. The sole success of this congregation is going to depend on have you been with Jesus. That's what matters most when we're at this place together and when we leave this place and live Monday through Saturday. 
Can people tell that you've been with Jesus? Do you smell like the Savior? Has the resurrected Messiah rubbed off on you? If you have a need this morning that we can help you with, if you're not a child of God, you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, if you're ready to study the Bible with someone, if you need the prayers and support of this church family, we want to help you. We're glad that you're here. Don't leave here without being right with God. Come as we stand and as we sing.